after knocking on the door the last couple of weeks, the Buffalo Bills finally found a way to win, albeit against a uh, NFC North opponent that they only see once every four years. But a win nonetheless. They defeat the Detroit Lions by a score of 14-13 to after losing two close ones in a row to the Miami Dolphins and New York Jets. And the Bills did exactly what we thought they were going to do by, you know, kind of undercutting their draft position, winning this type of game. But it has a bit of a different feeling because in years past, it's like, oh, well, they need to be up there for a quarterback. But no, that's that's not as much of a case now with the Josh Allen's here. We're going to go over all of it. Uh, welcome into the Bills Beat, everyone. My name is Joe Piscalia. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. And also, TG gracing us with his presence. Oh, I feel like when you said also right there, people started having tingly sensations in their parts. Like, oh, who's it going to be? And then you said who it was, and they're like, eh. Well, that guy. It's Oh, it's that guy. But so People are probably putting their kids in the other room yes. after what happened last time. Yes, there will be. A, I know there's a few kids that, that listen to the podcast. I apologize in advance for whatever comes out of Tim Graham's mouth. Um, but, guys, the, the Bills came through. It looked like they were on their way to a third straight loss, and then Josh Allen and Robert Foster kind of took over a little bit. And this will lead us to a broader point on Josh Allen after the fact, but I think Robert Foster is a pretty big story here based on what he's been able to do the last several weeks. I mean, with Josh Allen, he has gotten a 100-yard receiving game twice in four games uh, of these of the times that they've been together, got six yards shy of a hundred yards in in another time, had like twenty something on the fourth time, but but still they are showing a real chemistry and connecting on pretty clutch moments in a game, specifically for the touchdown, but also some other plays uh, in in this contest that helped lead them to the victory. And the the stats that you were telling me ahead of. The podcast, Matthew, were kind of jarring about Robert Foster in, in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, he, what he's doing is very strange uh, because he's never really done this before. He had, we were counting, he had six 100-yard games in the 63 football games he played in high school and college. He has three of them in 11 games in the NFL. He has, over the last two weeks, more receiving yards than every receiver not named Juju Smith-Schuster, Amari Cooper, or T.Y. Hilton. He's currently leading the league in yards per reception. Since he returned to the active roster, he's leading the league in yards per target by a whopping seven yards. I mean, the guy is playing legitimately good football, Mm -hmm. and he has 100 yards in every single game that he's started. He's only started three games this year, so... What he's doing is not just good in the context of the Bills. It's good in the context of the entire league. And uh, for him to do it, I mean, he has more yards since week 10 than he had while he was at Alabama the whole time. So, I mean, it's coming out of nowhere because he didn't do this in college. He's always been a talented player, but he was super inconsistent in camp and really inconsistent in the first part of the season to the point where they cut him. The rest of the NFL could have had this guy, and now his name is being mentioned with Juju Smith-Schuster, T.Y. Hilton, 
Mike Evans. I mean, guys that are putting up huge numbers. Albert Dubenian. Golden Wheels. He's he's got a shot to catch Golden Wheels for the franchise record for yards per reception. He would have to step it up a little bit. Golden Wheels had about 27. 27? Back in... On how many receptions? 1964. Roughly 40. He had over 1,000 yards. Oh, my God. He had... I think, Golden four, Wheels I think it was, was 45. Yeah, it was, it was 45, 45 catches. catches. The, I think so. Yeah, and 27 range. yards a catch. Yeah, 27.1. That's a ridiculous which stat. Which is the third highest yards per, yards per catch among all the times that uh, somebody has led in the mm-hmm. in NFL history, season by season. Uh, it's the third highest leader in NFL history. He had 42 catches for 1,139 yards and 10 touchdowns. Wow. In 1964. Albert Dubenyan, Golden Wheels, who also got mentioned because Isaiah McKenzie has two rushing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. The first time a receiver has two rushing touchdowns for the Bills in a season since Golden Wheels. Wow. So poor Golden Wheels, 85 years young. His records are in jeopardy here, thanks to Isaiah McKenzie and Robert Foster, who weren't on the roster. And these aren't even rookie records. Right. So you've had Andre Reid, James Lofton, Bill Brooks... Lee Evans was Lee a big Evans, yards uh, per catch guy, a big deep threat. Eric and a, Molds. And of all the years for his records to go down, it's in this one where they had quite possibly one of the the least talented rosters on offense anyway that they've had in quite some time. And I, I think this kind of bleeds into the Josh Allen point, which is him helping bring the most out of Robert Foster, but also Robert Foster getting this vaunted wake-up call that Sean McDermott continues to allude to, where they cut him because they weren't really happy with uh, how his, I guess, overall commitment to the process is is how they would probably term it. Um, and it served as somewhat of a motivating factor for him that he had it ripped away from him. My big question about him, and it will remain this up until he proves otherwise next year is whether or not this motivation has staying power. And because his, we found out what his default was when he was in training camp, made the team outright and really didn't do much in his first stint with the active roster and kind of faded into the background. And even though he got opportunities, just did not take advantage of them whatsoever. And so they caught him. For Cam Phillips, who's now back on their practice squad. But now that he's had success, and once that motivation kind of melts away in the offseason, what's he going to be next year? And we don't have that answer. It, it really is all, this could be a motivation that sticks with him for the rest of his life, or it could be something that fades away in three months. So this is this is a great stretch, and I don't want to take anything away from him because he's been simply superb and has showed a chemistry with their rookie quarterback that they've been sorely missing between Allen and any other receiver on the team. But you know, I, I wonder what his next year will be, especially in the confines of they have to make decisions in the offseason based partially around him at the wide receiver spot. I feel like you have to keep him on the roster. Oh yeah, definitely. And- I mean, unless he has a disaster of training camp and preseason, this is a guy that is producing at a level that a receiver hasn't produced at since Sammy Watkins. Yeah. And, I mean, Sammy Watkins cost you two first-round picks. This guy was free, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever small signing bonus he received as an undrafted guy, 
he's at the very least a good complimentary piece to whoever because that's the other thing. He's not doing this because the defense is double teaming somebody else right. or loading the box against the Pro Bowl running back. He's just doing he's just beating coverage because he's one of the fastest receivers in the NFL and he's the fastest receiver on this roster and the confidence is now there where he's attacking the football. If you add in the yards that he, you know, got on the penalty, the pass interference that set up the first touchdown. I mean, he was responsible for bo- both touchdowns today. Mm-hmm. And obviously those don't count as receiving yards, but they'll certainly count when they look at film tomorrow and, you know, give him credit for drawing that penalty. That was also the most we've seen him dance all year was when he drew that penalty. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he's... Seated dancing, He's enjoying himself. And it's kind of funny that Brian Dable could have used him this way last year and didn't at Alabama. I mean, nobody's complaining because they won the national title, but... Uh, now Brian Dable had a second chance to get something out of Robert Foster and has done so. A third chance. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he cut him right. early in the season. Well, he didn't cut him, but... I'm sure he probably didn't want to have that happen because he was basically the only speed threat they had, but, you know, he to McDermott's message, he had not done anything with a lot of chances on offense early on, especially for an undrafted guy that... I think made the roster outright only because he had the touchdown at the end of the Bears game in that comeback victory. And I, I think they were scared to lose him if they if they stuck him on the practice squad. So they felt like they had to keep him on there. He did nothing with it. They exposed him, then brought him back a couple of weeks later, hoping that the message was sent. And it worked. It doesn't always work that way, but it worked this time around. And of all the undrafted guys that they've that they've put on there, they had Six undrafted guys playing in roles today. Robert Foster. Six undrafted rookies. Six undrafted rookies. That's right. If you count like Jason Kroon, right. Lorenzo Alexander is right. was technically undrafted. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you've got Robert Foster, Keith Ford, who had to step in as the de facto starter once Marcus Murphy went down with a with an arm injury. Um, you had Corey Thompson starting in place of Matt Milano. You have Levi Wallace, who got beat for a touchdown, but he started the last several weeks. Ike Butker got in there for two series at right guard. And then you have Mike Love, who is getting some time over Eddie Yarbrough at right defensive end today. So those are six names that they came into camp with, hoping that, hey, let's see if this guy can stick on our practice squad. And now they're playing legitimate snaps for them down the stretch, and some of them are taking advantage, like Foster. And they won. I mean, they they didn't just roll guys out there and get stomped. I mean... Those guys played roles, and they won. And so are all those guys going to be here next year? Probably not, but it does create a situation where you say, look at what these guys, you know, you can bring any undrafted guy in and show them that, and, you know, any late-round draft pick. And it should wake up guys like Ray Ray McLeod and the like mm-hmm. who, you know, were drafted and aren't making these contributions. I mean, these are guys that you should be able to look at Robert Foster and say, if that guy did it, you know, we only got two games left and they're going to bring in a lot of talent this off season with free agency. I mean, there's no guarantee you'll have an opportunity as good as this one ever again. It's what we said about Robert Foster a few weeks ago. I mean, games like, or stretches like this don't happen where there's this many snaps to be had Mm -hmm. and Foster more than any of these other guys is taking advantage of it. Mm -hmm. They probably should be on a four game win streak. Yeah. They are a dropped pass in Miami and a, a blown coverage and well, I guess I don't, I don't even want to blame Tredavious White 
too much for the Jets' loss uh, because special teams, I think, is really the was right. the what did him in against the Jets. And if you don't have boneheaded special teams play and Charles Clay catches the late pass from Josh Allen, then you're looking at a four-game win streak since Josh Allen's been back. And you're also looking at a win-loss record of he's four and five without those games. He would be six and three. Uh, as as a starter for the Bills. I mean, they have been in almost every single game that he has started for them, uh, with the exception of the early ones where he first was, you know, getting his feet wet. And that's where it, this, I knew the Foster situation would, would lead us to because Josh Allen, I mean, we we have seen the growth from him over the last month of the season now. And I think what impressed me most today about him and granted that he does need to shore up some some areas like uh he was a little bit too loosey-goosey with the football again when he was carrying it he had his eighth fumble of the season um he also threw it against his body again almost got picked off Matt Patricia probably should have challenged it but he didn't for some reason um and he could probably use some more precision on some of his deep field targets however when you have a guy who, from one week to the next, is improving specifically in the areas that he was weak in, and even bigger point than that, you have someone that is making basically a dog of an offense, not only salvageable, but somewhat exciting. I mean... And certainly competitive. Definitely competitive to the point where they're almost on a four-game win streak based on some plays outside of what Josh Allen could control that uh, that went against them. The Lions so, are good enough to beat five teams this year. Right. Already. Including the Patriots. Right. Right. And so, so, and so Josh Allen making his team better is a feather in, as much of a feather in the cap for a quarterback as you can find, especially with the offense that he's working with. He has no offensive line or a running game. It's also, amazing. it occurred to me when he iced the game with that fourth and one quarterback sneak that that should be kind of a cheat code for them oh, going yeah. forward. I mean, if you have fourth and one at almost any point in the field, I think you run that play. And I think almost every time he's getting a yard. I mean, it was too easy for him to get that yard. So that's something that I think should creep into their thought process a little bit to be a little bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people ask about Sean McDermott's game management, and he is a bit conservative. I wonder if it'll change at all as he gets a little bit more confidence in, I mean, because who would go for go for it on fourth and four with some of the guys we've talked about that are out there, right? you know, and a rookie quarterback? It's not... With that offensive yeah, line. It's not the best move. And so regardless of what the numbers say and probability says, you have to factor in who's on the field for your team. And... I think as more talent is around Josh Allen, I mean, on those fourth and ones, he's going to be really good. I mean, down near the goal line, Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be really good with those quarterback sneaks. And it's such a crutch for him in the red zone. You know, he had that rushing touchdown. The red zone is such a problem area for rookie quarterbacks because everything gets smaller. the, The windows get smaller. It's just harder to be good down there. But when you can just run it in, that makes life a whole lot easier. And to the running point, the Lions spied him with a safety today, which is very interesting based on you know the evolution of how teams are going to defend him. But the fact that he was still able to do the job through the air without having to rely on the run, that's, that's, a, that's a good sign for, for potential future success too. I know that we're on the 
the running here, I want to talk about his completion percentage. Now, yeah. he was 13 of 26 today, 50%. That's a criticism that a lot of people have brought up, uh, and rightfully so. But I, the point I want to make regarding Josh Allen and his accuracy, and Joe, you've been talking about it here regarding the offensive line and how shoddy it has been and how, I mean, what do they have in terms of draft picks along that offensive line? One second rounder and, and then there, there's like a, a couple of fourths maybe and a, undrafted was guy. A third. Wyatt, Wyatt Teller was a fifth. Yep. Groy wasn't their draft pick no. and neither was John Miller or yeah. Jordan Mills rather. Right. John Miller was a third. So you got a lot, I mean, you don't have a lot of pedigree there on the offensive line. Uh, but the things that impact a quarterback's accuracy. Now they'll say you can't coach accuracy into a quarterback, and that's a debate. It's a discussion that's been had ever since you know, the Bills drafted Josh Allen. I tend to agree with that, that you can't really coach accuracy. But the things that affect a quarterback's accuracy the most are the things that he is making do without. He doesn't get to throw from a base too often. He's mm-hmm. on the run a lot because he's either trying to avoid a sack or there's a breakdown, what have you, uh, or he's asked to throw on the run. The other thing, too, is where do you get your cheapest completions in the NFL? You get them by throwing to your slot receiver, to your running backs, and to your tight end. The Bills had three targets today combined to their tight ends and running backs. Mm-hmm. Kroom had one, Clay had one, Ford had one. So you're taking away any of the short stuff that quarterbacks like a Tom Brady, and not that I'm comparing him to Tom Brady, but these quarterbacks, Case Keenum, you know, uh, guys that they, they feast on these short passes, he doesn't get that luxury. He's doing everything downfield, which is why you see Robert Foster have these gaudy uh, yards per uh, reception numbers. So my point that I'm trying to make in a very long-winded way is I think that you need to wait and see what Josh Allen can do in terms of completion. We may be looking at a 10% or a 10-point rise in his completion percentage next year just by, just because of personnel. Yep. Not necessarily because he needs to get better or go to some school to you know sharpen up his skills, and which he's going to do anyway, but just by personnel, just by having a guy to dump the ball to, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's – we're looking at, again, I've said it before, I think what we're seeing out of Josh Allen now is his floor. There's no reason that if he's doing what he's doing now with this talent around him or lack of talent, then there is no reason to believe that this shouldn't be the bare minimum that you get from him on a mm-hmm. week-to-week basis. Yeah. there's, there's that, That's a great point. And, you know, it's funny you brought that up because on our last episode, we discussed what completion percentage – in the confines of quarterbacking actually means uh, and how much you need to consider depth of target and difficulties of throws and the throws that the quarterbacks are actually trying to to make in those situations and it all it all factors in because if you have a player like Josh Allen who's consistently trying to push the ball down the field whereas as opposed to a guy like Trent Edwards or Case Keenum that you brought up I mean these are guys that live in that that short area of the field. Same thing with Alex Smith, too. I mean, this is why he has carved out a career out of being safe. So Josh Allen, because he tries those bigger plays more often than than others, then the completion percentage is always going, going to go down because the degree of difficulty goes up. They don't have a screen game right now. Oh, gosh, He's no. not very good at they it. They don't have linemen that all. can get out in front of but him. But, yeah, they don't have, as you mentioned, the personnel to have a screen game. They should... Because of LaShawn McCoy, 
but he hasn't been super effective this season. And I think, to your point, the offensive line isn't quite what you want uh, to be effective in that area. They're not blocking it well. And so, and also, I think it's worth mentioning that Josh Allen hasn't been very good at those throws mm-hmm. at times. He's He rushes it, and the easy ones aren't. He, he makes them look pretty hard sometimes. I think that's something he's improved upon, though, but as the that, season's and I gone think, on. I think that's such a correctable issue. Yeah, totally. I'd rather have a quarterback that you have to teach him to throw a screen, you know, and not rush himself, then you're not going to teach Case Keenum to throw that touchdown that Josh Allen threw. Mm -hmm. He can't do it. I mean, not with that velocity that far in the air. And some of the other throws that Josh Allen has made with the velocity that he throws with, there are quarterbacks that can't do that. You know what has to be nice for Bills fans to see too? Something that you really haven't seen – since Drew Bled, only maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick and Drew Bledsoe would be the last two quarterbacks. So that's a lot of space in between each each interval of those two guys. Is going downfield for defensive pass interference yardage. You know that's something that you just didn't get before because everybody did play it safe. Um, yeah, EJ Manuel. I could, yeah, you can remember the, the play that EJ Manuel in which he threw it deep and uh, Luke Keekley got called for probably a pretty weak defensive pass interference call there against Carolina and that mm-hmm. big come EJ Manuel's shining moment it never got <laughs> right. any better uh, he never ever improved on that highlight but um, but yeah seeing Josh Allen test a defense and even if the ball isn't necessarily catchable and even if Robert Foster isn't to the skill of the type of receiver who will go up for a 50-50 ball and you know you have confidence he's going to get it he's not at that stage yet um, but to be able to out uh out to, to battle and win against a corner and, and one tight one-on-one coverage is you still have a pretty good chance of getting a defensive pass interference call if you just try it every now and then. Mm-hmm. The Bills in the past just wouldn't even try it. They just haven't had the personnel. and I mean, Well, they haven't had the quarterback who yeah, would dare exactly. to do it either. Exactly. And Fitzpatrick would do it. I think it, mentally he does that type of thing, but he didn't have the arm strength to really do it. He would have to throw his entire body. <laughs> yes. Well, and the, I think the combination of Josh Allen's arm and Robert Foster's speed puts a real strain on a defensive back, especially the way, you know, the game is called right now with, you know, every little thing kind of gets called in terms of holding and defensive pass interference. It's pretty easy to just instinctually grab Robert Foster because he's blowing by you, especially right now when a lot of these guys are probably saying, who the hell is this guy? Mm-hmm. And he's running by everybody. And Josh Allen has the arm that probably scares defensive backs after the first couple of throws where they, or even you know on tape, I remember last week in the Jets locker room, I think it was Tremaine Johnson was saying, when we were watching him on tape and he was throwing at 70 or 80 yards, like that gets your attention because sure. you're like, I've got to you know have my head on a swivel because at any moment he could just let it rip. And so... That speaks to what you're talking about, where Ryan Fitzpatrick may have had the willingness, but I don't know that anybody was particularly afraid of him beating them over the top uh, the way that Josh Allen can. So it's a a unique—it makes you think. I mean, imagine if there were some legit NFL receivers around him, what he would be doing. Or perhaps Robert Foster is turning into one. Who knows? I mean, this could be the— the beginning stages of that, or he could be peaking. We don't know. We, we won't know until his career kind of goes on. But And it th- doesn't have to be speed either. No, it, sure. it, it, We're talking things like catch radius and just your hands. Somebody mm-hmm. drops today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, people say, well, he throws the ball too hard. Well, I think that 
you get some better receivers with some experience in the NFL game, and you have, uh, yes, he's not he's not pinpoint with his accuracy going around the middle. But Deontay Thompson, that's NFL receivers do make that catch when yeah. he laid out for that deep ball that would have been what like a forty yard gain or whatever it was. Um, NFL receivers make that catch every week. Same with Zay Jones. You see it all up, the time. Up high as well. Yeah, you see it all yeah. the time. So, yeah, I think with the improved personnel, so he, his accuracy doesn't necessarily have to get appreciably better. I think just guys with – they're going to make tougher catches. There, there are receivers out there who make tough catches. The Bills haven't shown that they can do that yet. I, I mean, mean, they're blowing the top off like with Robert Foster. But Robert, none of these guys are really making hard catches. If they, if they had receivers on the roster who could make difficult catches – then I think, you know, yeah, you'd be looking at a, a, a kind of a supercharged offense. I mean, it, I think in an ideal world, Robert Foster long-term is your three or four. I mean, you look at some of these offenses that can spread it out and create big plays. I think Foster, his long-term, you know, staying power will be a lot better if he can be in that role where he's not facing the press coverage or a double team or whatever else. And you can kind of sneak him in there, even if it's, I mean, people laugh at this name, but Darius Hayward Bay, you know, that guy that was, he's hung around the league. He's still on the Steelers and he makes the occasional big play. Even if that's like you're mentioning with Josh Allen, if that's Robert Foster's floor where he's making one or two of those plays a game, those change games. If you're throwing, you know, if you're flipping the field with a 40 or 50 yard catch, I mean, that's stuff that, that will change games. And that, and that's also where you say you don't need to complete 70% of your passes if you hit a 40 or 50 yard or even right. get a pass interference call. That one doesn't go in the stats, but that's a touchdown I think, because that gets called. I think if he if Allen exists somewhere between the 57 to 62 range, he's fine. Life is good. He's fine point. because he is always going to be looking for a big play. And to your point, Tim, where, you know, it, People will say, well, he throws the ball too hard. I, I think back, when I hear that, I think back to Brett Favre and Antonio Freeman and Robert Brooks. And I remember features on them ahead of Monday night games where it's they're counting how many broken fingers that they've had. But it's, John Elway. It's an adjustment because you— Jim Kelly. Right? You have, you, have to, you have to do all those things. And to figure out who can actually make plays with— this big-armed quarterback that's willing to take those risks, that's everything. And for Robert Foster, if he does turn into a number three or four, or let's say best-case scenario, he turns into their number two receiver. Maybe he's a one. I mean, Could be. You know, all the talk about a number one receiver and where you need to get these guys. Tyreek Hill was a fifth-round pick. Antonio Brown was a sixth-round pick. I mean, obviously, a lot of these best guys, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, Mike yeah. Evans, you know, you spend the one and you get what you pay for sometimes, but... It's not unheard of for some of these guys to come out of nowhere. Right. And quick point, Foster, they have him under control for a long time. He's he's under contract next year. Uh, and then after that, he's an uh, exclusive rights-free agent, which basically says, play for us or else retire. And then after that, he's a restricted free agent again. So they have his rights locked up for the next three years. And for him, I mean, if he evolves into that, that's... That, that's a, obviously a great thing for them. But there's also the conversation of what defines a number one anymore? I mean, is it the same thing as what it used to be? Because when you have these prolific offenses, and you mentioned Tyreek Hill, and, and he's certainly in this equation as well. But I think of like the Rams and how they're just tossing around everywhere. And they've, they've just got this, this depth 
of targets as opposed to an overwhelming number one. I mean, Robert Woods has been great for them. Brandon Cooks has been really good for them. Cooper Cup has been really good for them. But none of those guys are technically a number one. I think. Do Co- you need it? I think Cooks would be in a different offense. Maybe. Um, it's actually a story that I'm working on right now. And I've been talking to people about uh, in the asking the question, how do you define a number one? Mm-hmm. How do you acquire a number one? And do you have to have one? Um, so it's funny that you bring all those three things up because that's exactly what I'm working on. And I've been talking to a lot of people about it. No, you don't. The Patriots, you could argue, have had one number one receiver during their Super Bowl era, and that's Randy Moss. Um, maybe now with Josh Gordon. I hope um, David Patton is but, not listening. <laughs> or Dion Branch. Um, what about Randy Moss? They Brown. don't. I mean, what, people say, well, number one. Well, Wes Welker led the NFL in reception. Well, Randy so he, Moss was the not, one you're talking about. I absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy Moss is the number one. It's right. not Julian Edelman. It's not Wes Welker. It's not Rob Gronkowski. It's a, it's a role like like power forward in hockey. You know, not every team has one. Mm-hmm. And uh, just great... because it's number one, people think, well, every there aren't 32 of them. Not every team has. It's not like your first line center uh, in in hockey or your uh, you know your your closer, your staff ace in baseball. Not just because your your best pitcher, your best starting pitcher, isn't your staff ace. Uh, so um, the ace is probably a good good yeah. comparison too, because yeah, not every team has an ace. But unlike baseball, when it comes to the prototypical number one receiver, you don't work. You don't find one through your minor league system. You're not going to get a guy off your practice squad and groom him to be your number one. It just doesn't happen. You rarely get one even drafted in the late rounds. Now, it does happen. And you rarely find one on the waiver wire or in a trade. Yes, Randy Moss, extenuating circumstances. Amari Cooper, whatever the hell the Raiders were thinking, I don't know. That's stupidity, I guess, mm-hmm. on both cases, Randy Moss and Amari Cooper. Um, so rarely do you, Josh Gordon, guy wore out his welcome. Uh, so there are ways, but usually it's a dra- you draft, you pay for it, either with your draft capital or in free agency with a lot of money. Um, but it's the attitude, it's the guy of the alpha dog. Uh, it is the guy, the Julio Jones, the AJ Green, the Antonio Brown, who you, you mentioned already late round pick, but the guy who's getting ten to fifteen to sometimes the guy, the guy who game. you know the ball is going to him even though he's double covered in a clutch situation like those guys. Mm-hmm. So did the Bills have one of those on the roster? No, I don't think I don't think Zay Jones is that guy. I don't think Robert Foster is that guy. Um, but then again, you don't need one. You can get away with four number twos. Right, and of those guys you just listed, how many Super Bowls between all of them? Yeah, that's another great point. As you take a look back at recent Super Bowl winners, now I interviewed Mike Martz for my story. So he had two number ones. He had Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. And that was in 2000 when he was the offensive coordinator, or 99, when he was the offensive coordinator for the Rams. Since then, though, I think it's three Super Bowl teams have had a receiver go to the Pro Bowl, get selected for the Pro Bowl. That's not not played in the Pro Bowl because you're on the Super Bowl team. Not Not that loophole. Right. Marvin Harrison and uh, Reggie Wayne did it when when the Colts won the Super Bowl. Um, Troy Brown did it when the Patriots won one of their Super Bowls. And uh, there was another one relatively recently. Demarius Thomas, maybe? No, not that. Um, I mean, I'd look it up. I have it here in my bag. But only three teams have had a pro. uh, Three teams have won a Super Bowl and sent a pro uh, and had a Pro Bowl receiver. Wow. So you have uh, a lot of receivers that. 
yeah, they get a lot of yards, like Demarius Thomas or Brandon Lloyd. You know, those guys. Um, Lloyd. Let me take a look. But but anyways, I'll, I'll look it up here. But yeah, you don't have to have it. Clearly, you don't have to have it. But it sure is a luxury when you do have it. Right. And I wonder if it is just that, though. Is it just a luxury? Whereas, like, do you really need to go out and... And I'm saying this knowing full well that... Greg Jennings. Greg Jennings, okay. Full, knowing full well that for the majority of the year, the Bills have just been awful at the wide receiver position. It isn't until recently where, we, where we've seen this. But do you really have to go out there and draft a player in the top 10 at that position, especially when it's becoming increasingly harder for players at, the, at that position to make the type of impact that is uh, that is correlated with that draft spot. And I wonder if maybe from that line of thinking and evaluating the college game and how these guys just aren't ready for the limelight or ready to be the guy, the alpha that you're talking about, if it's really worth their time or if they would just be better off drafting a guy in the second round and hoping for a stable of number twos to surround around Josh Allen because he doesn't care who he's throwing it to. He's going to chuck it down the field as long as you're open. Yeah, who's, I who's think the it, slot receiver right now. Any, I mean, what what projects? I mean, Zay, Zay Jones. One? I think Zay Jones is their slot if, guy. At but the but right. Zay Jones isn't. Well, I'm talking I mean, about in the future. I mean, oh, as you're yeah. as you're trying to look in, imagine this team going forward, is the slot receiver? He's probably on this team? best in the slot. I think that would be like the best spot to put him. But I don't know that he's your ideal slot no, because he doesn't so. have. The quickness. I mean, you could say Isaiah McKenzie, but I think you're selling yourself short. Even if you put him in the slot, you could find somebody in the. You know, Cooper Cup was a third round pick. I mean, and that's you know, high for slot receivers, believe it or not. Yeah, a lot of slot receivers you find as undrafted rookies, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, late rounds. Uh, you know, where was uh, Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college? Where was Kiki QT uh, drafted by the Texans? Because he's come in and, and had a, a really nice impact for for them this year out of the slot. What, what was he? I know you're looking it up right now. He was round four. Round four. Year. So, so that's, a, that's a day three pick. Yeah, you can get these guys. You want more speed, I think, than Zay yeah, Jones has. Yeah, absolutely. Zay Jones is kind of that possession number two, maybe, he profiles as long-term. I don't think Isaiah McKenzie's your long-term answer at the slot position. He's been a nice find and a good stopgap to make life a little bit easier for Josh Allen, but I don't think that's what you want, ideally. That's why I think... You know, long term, it fosters your four. Mm-hmm. You're almost in good shape if you can find a better a better three, or maybe he can be a guy that plays out of the slot and hurts people that way. But or maybe you want if you take a look at how to improve the receiving core. Maybe one of the things that the Bills could do is identify a tight end. Yeah, you know, and it's it, that's maybe becomes your slot receiver in, in such a way. And of course, everybody knows Brian Dable is. Most recently in the NFL, before he went to Alabama, as the tight ends coach of the of the Patriots, I mean, he clearly knows the value of a tight end, and I uh, think he would like to use that position a yeah, lot. I think so too. Differently than he has this year because he's got such a slappy as his starter. The guy is completely <laughs> useless. Well, I mean. well, it's funny you mention that because you know heading into um, the game last week, the Jets game, uh, it, it was interesting how much they have used Clay over the course of the year. Now, taking the following games out of the equation, the the games that he was inactive due to an injury, and also the, uh, the, the game against the Bears where he got hurt really early on 
and only got eight snaps out of a total of 91 total snaps. So that's a completely skewing statistic. Of the rest of the games that Charles Clay has been a member of, he has been on the field for nearly 75% of offensive snaps, which is jarring considering his lack of production. The last or last week, that went down to 55 when it was only him and Logan Thomas. This week, I tracked it through the third quarter after the after the Bills started, you know, moving the ball down the field. I lost track and 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 stopped paying attention to it. But Jason Kroom and Charles Clay were nearly dead even, which which shows a significant sign from the Bills that what Charles Clay has not been good enough, and that they want to see if Jason Kroom can do the job in a in a higher capacity than than what he was. And it's not a it's not a uh, a, a, an uncommon thing to see Jason Kroom out there in that clutch situation in the fourth quarter over Charles Clay. They trust him more. He's an undrafted guy as of two years that they cut. And he's out there over Charles Clay, which is as good of an indication as any that they're, gonna, that they're going to move on. And they need to see if Kroom can play because if he can't, then you need something of substance at tight end. You can't go on with what you've had this year because that trio have not been good enough. It would be fun to go through, it wouldn't be that hard, how many guys today that played have been cut by this team? Ooh. Or benched. I gotcha. Because all the undrafted, well, Robert Foster, all the undrafted guys we mentioned, six of them, were all cut at some point because they all spent time on the practice squad. Jason Kroom was cut at one point. John Miller was benched at one point. I mm-hmm. don't think you can say Wyatt Teller was benched. He just didn't start mm-hmm. start the season as a starter. Was Jordan Mills benched at one Ryan point for Groy. Chantrell Henderson? Ryan Groy, Ryan was, Groy was benched, no, he wasn't. and he was the starter. Yeah, Ryan Groy would count. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you go on defense, and there's you know guys that have been cut by this team: Levi Wallace, Corey Thompson. Uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy, and that's what the interesting dynamic here is. Yeah, they're probably laying a foundation in some ways, um, but also I don't know how many of these guys. I think a lot of these guys will be cut again, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, yeah, true. you know, the way that this is what I've said about Sean McDermott a lot, as much as we, you know, can criticize him for in-game management or certain decisions he makes or his big picture thinking at times, I can never knock his ability to get something out of players. The, the way that guys care when they lose in December of a season like this, or the way he, he has, you know, talking to these undrafted guys, he has them thinking that they're not necessarily like he's brainwashing them. He legitimately is motivating guys to become better players and play big roles and to have a team out there with that many guys that, quite frankly, aren't that good. It's not like they've uncovered six gems of undrafted free agents. Mm-hmm. These are guys that are, are just not all that good. I mean, Keith Ford was pretty average today, yeah. and that was your leading rusher. To get out of those guys what – you know, they're getting out of them, I think is, is pretty impressive. And you can go back to last year when they had Cedric Thornton, you know, in the middle of their, their line. I mean, they had, he was bad. <laughs> they had some bad players out there and found a way to make the playoffs. So I think that's another encouraging thing here is that you can, you can definitely say a lot of things about Sean McDermott that he's done wrong and that, you know, maybe he's, he's short-sighted or doesn't think think the game offensively the way you'd want and plenty of criticism to hand out there, but these guys like playing for him. And I think if Brian Dable continues to show these chops as an OC, maybe it won't matter what Sean McDermott thinks on offense. If he can continue to kind of keep the, 
you know, people laugh at culture, but it's it's starting to look a little bit real. Yeah. But once again, none of these conversations, the conversations about a stable of number two receivers or a tight end or whether or not you need a number one or what you need to do to fix your offensive line, none of those questions are our biggest topic unless Josh Allen isn't showing the signs that, that he has over the past month of the season. There has been a notable difference since he has come back from his injury and how he's progressed as a player. And, you know, this is, it's got Bills fans thinking big for the first time since I've been covering the team. And I've been on this beat for almost a decade now. Like, and not to say that's a huge amount of time in the confines of things, but it's a, it's a fairly substantial amount of time. And for fans to be hopeless at the most important position of the, of the, of the game by leaps and bounds for that long and to actually see these signs exhibited, uh, you know, completion percentage notwithstanding, I mean, that's that's why fans are thinking, all right, what would be great for Josh Allen here? What what can what can they do to maximize what he can do? I mean, if if he's going out there just just throwing ducks left and right, then uh, then there's no point in in having those discussions because you have to wonder if they actually have it right but fans are thinking hey maybe they have it right yeah i, I think they do have it right now like oh, again wow. i don't think it's i'm not anointing him future hall of famer but they have it right to the point that you can start addressing other problems with the team like you mm-hmm. just say joe i mean the whole point of what you bring up is they can start doing other things they can. They don't need to just keep looking for the quarterback. They don't need to trade up and identify. They can go any number of ways. Uh, last couple of years, maybe you can even go back a, a few. And you, they probably should have drafted a quarterback way ahead of uh, Josh Allen. Even years before EJ Manuel, they should have gone out and gotten a quarterback. But now that they have that, they do, they can do whatever they want right. early on in the draft, and it's not going to be the wrong decision and because they, they have so many needs. Yeah, they could trade back. Uh, because you can get the receiver there, a tight end, or your uh, a left tackle, or whatever the hell you want to do, uh, and you know that that position is set for the next few years at the very least, and right. maybe even way more than that. But maybe it's set for your franchise for the next fifteen. Yeah, if he turns out best case scenario. And right now, what they have in this upcoming off season is a blank palette and a potential and a lot of money. What they hope is a Da Vinci insignia in the corner just <laughs> hanging there that they hope is is that actual thing. But the rest of it still needs to get painted because they have all the resources to do so. We have a special entrant into the uh, into the pod here. Just hey! Popping can, up. Can this Da Vinci play center? Maybe. John Warrow of the Associated <laughs> Press. Welcome. This is... is this, this is a first. First time. This is the, first, John has been mentioned No time listener. First time... <laughs> First time on. John is very anti-podcast. Well, I don't have time. He doesn't have time. But here he is. But here he is, on deadline. (laughs) He doesn't have time for podcasts. I got a a beer that I could drink. Here he is. Have you ever been on a podcast? Yes, I have. He's been on podcasts, but he does not listen. Yes. Are you going to listen back to this one? No. No. But no, I, to, to, to jump on what you guys were saying, exactly. this team... <laughs> he came in here to insult podcasts and then just make his point. No, yeah. but, this team, right, but, this, but this team is believing in Josh Allen. Um, I'm seeing guys go up to Josh Allen on defense, on offense, and give, and give him credit. He is putting... He is helping... He, he is 
giving a belief into this team. And I agree. Um, this might, I'm not sure if it was his most complete game, but it was his most effective game. Sure. Um, in, in many ways, I thought his the loss at Miami was his best game of the season, and this one might be even better given with the talent that's around him yeah. or that wasn't around him today. This may have been his most mature game, yeah. his most in-control game. Stayed in the pocket a long time. he threw the ball away when he needed to throw it away. He had almost the one, all the time. one almost interception yeah. that yep. you mentioned they could have challenged. Two. Two, that's right. Two. There, was one, there one. was one late in the game, too. So, yeah, that, that impacts the narrative a little bit, I guess. Sure. But I felt yeah. like he was more in control, less erratic than he's been from wire to wire. And didn't try to get it all at once. He didn't panic. He didn't flinch when, you know, Stafford led them for that touchdown drive. He came right back. I thought you saw a bit more in control. And, yes, there's going to be some of the talking heads that will look at it and say, 206 yards, 50% passing, only one touchdown. That's that's not improvement. And the analytics won't bear it out. But I thought it was a, a very – he's the leader of this team. Like, the team goes as he goes. And I think we saw that again today. But they, how about – They I have hit- top 20, 21st downs in, I believe, their past three games. Okay. So they wow. now have 68 first downs combined in their last three games. Mind you, two of those losses – the offense, the analytics do are are trending upward um, when it comes to the offense. They they top 300 yards yet again, something they they really struggled to do in the first you know d- during Allen's first stint before he got hurt against Houston. So you're seeing signs of a team that, mind you, is without Sean McCoy, without Chris Ivory, is down to Keith Ford and whoever at running back. Patrick Demarco, right. Marcus right. Murphy, guys, come on. I thought this was going to be the DeMarco game. <laughs> I thought we were going to be talking about this. Mm-hmm. Dude, I said that to Pat in the locker room, and he was like, I'm just glad I don't have a negative yards per carry anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that. Well, DeMarco <laughs> told me, I'm not sure if he told told you to, if you talked to him, but he told me after the game, and this is in my story, that um, on that fourth and one at the 41, Allen said, give me the freaking ball. and then I he, bet he used the F word. He well, I'm I'm quoting Patrick Demarco. Right. Give me the freaking ball, and then he then then Demarco said, Allen turned to Demarco and said, "You push the crap out of me over that line." See, I bet he said shit. <laughs> you can say this on a podcast. Yeah, uh, we're explicit. Man. I bet fuck. he said, "Golly, here we, oh. go. <laughs> here we go, and away we go." This is why you should listen to podcasts. Right, exactly. Use the F word. Yeah, Joe doesn't like when we use the F word, but we already. Told the listeners to get the kids out of the room because Tim was on. Yeah, yeah. I mean so. that that uh, that has been established. Thanks. And furthermore, Thanks. to the um, the Josh Allen point, once again, over seventy percent of his team's yards. He had seventy point seventy point five percent of his team's way yards down, there. way down from last the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, last three. Well, I think it was over eighty. Yeah. It was near 80. Well, no, it was, I think it was the upper 70s, upper 70s uh, against Jacksonville and the Jets, and it was low 80s against uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he didn't run today. Right. Yeah, he only had we 16 couldn't. yards, but he had that touchdown, which was obviously huge. And yes. like we mentioned, it's a, it's becoming quite the weapon in the red zone, and then on that fourth and one, like, I think they should do that all the time. He should want the ball and he should tell Patrick DeMarco to push the shit out of him every time because mm-hmm. they're going to get that. I think. Not literally. Well, no. <laughs> well, if they get the first down. I mean, 
I assume he has an extra pair well, of drawers. Well, I mean, this, he can well, but we, <laughs> here's a question. We, we, we saw a guy, a gunslinger-type guy on the other side of the field like Matthew Stafford. Is that what Josh Allen can be? He can, I think. And Matt Stafford was That was his guy. best game for in a that, long that, time, he, Stafford. Him he, and Galladay, wow. Yeah, and the first Matt, half. Matt Stafford in college hovered around that 60% completion, and he's been better. I, I mean, I think Matt Stafford is a really good quarterback, and I think what you get out of Josh Allen that maybe is sometimes missing in, in Matt Stafford is, well, first of all, Matt Stafford can't run like that. No. And I think what you mentioned of Josh Allen kind of having that, having the team. Uh, not, that, not to say Matt Stafford doesn't have his team, but the way Josh Allen leads as that super fiery guy that everybody wants to follow, and he comes up big in those big moments. I mean, in a playoff game, I don't think you're going to feel – too bad about having Josh Allen on your side. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to step up for those types of things. And Matt Stafford hasn't to this point. He hasn't had a ton of opportunities to do it. But And, of course, we don't know what Josh Allen will be in those moments. But if he's Matt Stafford with a little extra sack in the playoffs, then I think you got a shot at winning a Super Bowl with that well, kid. Look at, look at it this way, and I hate to play the what-if game but I'm going to play it anyways. Because hey, hey, John, you have to, you have what to if, point right, toward the microphone. I, 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 oh, there's a microphone, <laughs> right. No, but if Allen stays in the game against Houston, what happens? Um, okay, take even take away the Houston game. Um, if Allen wins, gets that pass off to Charles Clay against Miami, where is this team? I mean, they have three winnable games that turned out to be losses. Mind you, that's reflective of the fact that Allen's a rookie and they have a very patchwork lineup. Yeah. But this team isn't far away from eight. Yeah. No, I mean, this year, Tim eight. mentioned earlier, right. uh, before you came in, they sh- could be on a four-game winning streak. You could right. argue they should be. Yeah. You know, and obviously but- games are decided by those types of margins in the NFL, so it's hard to say, well, they should be on a four-game winning streak because... They did it to themselves, but right. Allen has put them in a position to win in four straight games. And yes, against the Jets, he also threw a couple of interceptions that took them out of it. But I think the fact that they're this competitive with, as we've mentioned, six undrafted rookies on the field, I mean, not a talented roster, I think it speaks to Josh Allen and it speaks to the coaching job Sean McDermott's done. Obviously, I think they have a good, not great defense too. Mm-hmm. It's not like... Josh Allen is just being competitive in games because the defense is carrying them. I think they're good, but they've shown some cracks, and the red zone defense has not been good this year. It's been quite below average. So all that to say, this is this is Josh Allen's team, and, and I think the way that he's put them in position to win these games can't be understated, especially if, God forbid, they put some talent around him and get some guys that can you know give him some time to sit back there and go through his reads. Next year could be, I think it's not outside of the realm of possibility to say that they can compete next to, year for the To playoffs. sum up, because in the last couple of minutes you've said both things, and I just want to put it together. You think what you need to see out of the Bills, less cracks, more sacks. Yes, yeah. less crack, more sack. That's a beautiful summation, Tim. All right, so yeah, you, I, you have a way with words. It pop. I, I mean, I just was. I, I think that should be and, the title of this episode. Well, Less I crack, think, more. Well, so. right. The and, and really, you, you really want to say taint that the truth? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh. oh. <laughs> 
Is it this is. where I leave? Yeah. No. Well, I don't know. No. It's not my podcast. Well, ask me. I was just going to say we should get into the award portion of, of the evening. There are John, since you hey, have John. never have you you've never listened to our podcast before, we can explain it. We have a few. We different... can now say John listened to our podcast, by the way, because he's here. Yeah, technically Fact. speaking. Technically speaking, we gained um, the listener tonight. We have the Matt Barkley Award for the for the Bills player that came out of nowhere to have a great game. Um, we have the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't show up in the second half, and we have the Dre Archer Award for the player who didn't show up at all. And then there's also Come On Darlene, which it's just kind of a I can't really explain that anymore. It's just kind of a, a thing where you go. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Right. You remember that segment? I know that segment. Only it, only it could go to anybody. It could You've go gotten the that. award before. Yes, I have given you that award, I yes. believe. For not being able to circumvent your internet connectivity. Yes, for not being able to connect to the internet. <laughs> you, you won that award. I'm going to get a game book. It happens. Get started. It happens. All right, so uh, the Matt Barkley Award for player that came out of nowhere to... Do you have? I think you have Barkley and and. Uh, I'm Monte. trying to think because we could give it. A, Robert Foster is no longer coming out of nowhere. No, correct. Right. Uh, he he's done this too many times to get that award. Isaiah McKenzie is no longer coming out of nowhere. Although I think I am actually going to give it to Isaiah McKenzie because he did come out of nowhere because we all thought he was done. What? We, there were people like was shocking. Right. We all thought he was. He's, that was it. We're not going to see him for. He may never till, play again. Yeah. Right. Because he's not a highly drafted guy. People and were so, like, oh, crap, it's the Achilles. Yeah, oh. right. Yeah, so when I said <laughs> he was questionable to return, somebody <laughs> tweeted at me and said, questionable my ass. The only question is whether he'll ever be good again. And I was like, wow, this guy is quite aggressive. But there he was, returning kicks. and It's not like uh, Gail Sayers' knee injury. Like when you got <laughs> when you hurt your, inj- you hurt your uh, knee back in the 60s, you, you were done. You might as well be right. shot in the pasture. Well, I think... <laughs> I think what what made everybody go whoa was non-contact, and he was down immediately. Yep, they brought out the cart. The cart. Th- those are two huge signs of a big time injury, and then him just trotting out like, "Oh, hey guys, what's going on?" Led the team with six catches. Funny to see you here. And he was the return man, and he didn't screw up, and he usually does fumble once or twice. Nice. So. No, that was reserved for uh, the Lions special teams. Yeah, so good on him. Yeah, I'll give him the Matt Barkley award. Uh, I'm going to give the Dre Archer Award to Deion Dawkins. Uh, the guy has has really not... Uh, I don't know what just happened there. That's Mike Rodak. Yeah, he's... He knows he's not allowed in. and He's, he's definitely not allowed he's in. He's angry. Yeah. He's pouting. Uh, Especially he sees Waro in here now. He's... <laughs> He's about ready to... They can pretty much let anybody in here but Rodak. We've mentioned Rodak's mom more than we've mentioned Rodak. That's true. Mm-hmm. Rodak's mom is that a That makes three of us. Of <laughs> <laughs> so, it goes to Deion Dawkins. It, the, the best way I can discuss him is that it's very much in question whether or not he still has a hold on the left tackle job next year. I think he's going to be a starter, but he has not at all ruled out the possibilities of them. If they if they have a shot at a blue chip left tackle prospect in the top ten of the draft, Deion Dawkins isn't going to prevent them from doing that. So uh, I think I think uh, he's worthy of the uh, of, of the uh, Dre Archer Award because he once again struggled a lot today. Um, hey Tim, you want to give away the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't uh, show up in the second half? I'm bad at this. This is the You're third time I've it. been on the show and asked to do this, and I usually pull one out of my butt. But that's I usually where don't they all come from. No, I guess Marcus Murphy. 
Well, that would be a cruel. Yes. That would be cruel, and I'm just not that kind of guy, Johnny Wawa. I. Uh, Tredavious White? Second half? Tredavious yeah. White? I mean. Yeah. Uh, because it, that, did that big catch come in the second half or the first half? No, first, no, it was, first all, half, first. it was all in the first half. I'm not sure if. He would be the reverse Vontae Davis. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I don't really see anybody on here who I would really be disappointed in in the second half. Uh, that wasn't injury related. I can't be upset at Marcus Murphy for getting hurt. Darn. Um, How about Zay Jones? Zay Jones. Yeah. Well, yeah. Miss, he miss had one catch for eleven yards. He he was uh, he was not a factor today. No. What about Dar's punt? There's uh, one bad punt there off to the sideline to the left. How about punting from the thirty-six today? Yeah, that, that was something. That happened. But. You know, I think you have Hauschka. to take into account Hauschka. Yeah, it yeah. was fourth and eighteen, but you only picked up a net of sixteen yards. You know what are you going to do? Right. Uh, to McDermott's credit, though, he went for it with the game on the line. Yep. Yeah, that's totally right. Um, all right, so we'll just we'll just give it to Zay Jones because I like I'll I'll allow it. Zay, Zay is fine. All right, come on, Darlene. Um, I think I'm going to stick with the one we talked about before before the episode, Matt. Um, I'm going to give my come on, Darlene, to Harrison Phillips. And here's why. Mm, this is fair. The man, apparently, I don't know if he does it anymore. Probably not. Otherwise, I would be very worried about his well-being. Drank a gallon of milk a day to put on weight. A gallon of milk. Not only that. I think the what? reason he deserves this is because he was speaking to the kids. And he was encouraging the kids to drink a gallon of milk a day. <laughs> and that's dangerous. So I, I'm lactose intolerant, so you can't... So really, am I. Yeah, you can't... I, I couldn't do it. I could drink a gallon of almond milk a day, but I think that would be uh, kind of gross. Who'd want to do that? That would be reckless. Almond milk's pretty good. I, I just... I'm I'm fearful of what that did to the man's insides. I'm more worried about the children here. Because... <laughs> it's all about I'm, the kids. I'm picturing kids... You know, it's like the Tide Pods. They're like Harrison Phillips, you know, <laughs> has a gallon of milk a day. I'm going to start doing it. You're going to drown yourself in milk if you do that. So <laughs> I, I'm actually pissed off that we told the kids to leave the room because I wish they were listening to know they should not drink a gallon of milk a day. Tell your kids. Wake them up right now and tell your kids. You don't have to have them listen to the podcast, but just grab Johnny by the shoulder, shake him awake, and say, you know, I... I think you drink too much yeah. milk, Johnny. Two glasses of milk a day will do just, just fine. fine. I love that you related drinking milk to Tide Pods. This is not being <laughs> this is not being brought to you by the dairy farmers of New York State. Oh no! No, it's actually no, it's being brought to you by almond milk because you can drink almond milk for a gallon a day. I think it's a bit lighter unless you're drinking skim milk. You could do skim milk. For yeah, it's like water. What if you're drinking it right from the udder? <laughs> Then, For those of you who can't see this, Tim is milking an imaginary cow. That's not what it... Well, we thought that Josh Allen was Did making you see this, an audible call. audible that was like this? It's like he was milking a cow. Or, <laughs> or a steering wheal, if he was doing that. Well, here's the well, thing about almond yeah. milk. Where's the udder on almonds? That's a good question. That's a, this is a, Tim's next deep This dive. is a dual Josh Allen reference because if you're milking a cow, this a lot of people, if you didn't read my series on him when I went out to his hometown, he was big in Future Farmers of America because his dad 
has a big farm. Now it's an agricultural farm. It's not li- there's not livestock there in Fireball, California, but his father is trying to get away from doing cotton and bearded wheat and it takes a big investment to do it because it takes a few years, but they want to plant almonds. Almond trees. Oh. And pistachios. Oh. Okay. So, yeah. I what that means, I don't know, but Fun fact there about was the islands. there was just uh, I was just trying to tie it all together. So do you get the spirit of the thing for Come On Darlene? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm, okay. I'm pretty bad at these things. Yeah. Got, you don't have to go next. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to myself. Because <laughs> Again, you're, this is your third time on the bracket. <laughs> well, well, because here's the thing. Uh-oh. Uh, I, I, I think I was a little bit irresponsible before oh. the game. When I was getting, you know, LaShawn McCoy and Chris Ivory were inactive. I had already had people during the week asking me Marcus Murphy or Keith Ford in my fantasy lineups. And I don't want to say that I was recommending either of those guys, but I did encourage it because I said, if you're doing this, screenshot it and send it to me so I know who my bravest followers are. <laughs> and I think that made people a little too brave. I, there were dozens of people. Them. Yeah, I was basically challenging people. There Let's were pe- crack more sack. Yeah. <laughs> there were people on the fence that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start Marcus Murphy just so I can send this tweet. And there were a lot of people that started Marcus Murphy, not that many that started Keith Ford. And Murphy almost had a touchdown, but he didn't. And that was it was too bad. Especially when I was saying, in PPR, you got to go Marcus Murphy. He didn't even have a single catch. <laughs> so, again, I don't think I was recommending this, but I certainly didn't do anything to put water on the fire. And, and that that's on me. So I apologize yeah. to all those. I mean, this was not week three of the fantasy season. This was important for people. Yeah. And I, I feel like I was a little bit reckless. Yeah, and encouraging behavior is the bastard brother of recommendation. So, yeah, I th- I, I think I think you're you're liable in that situation. Who's next? My come on Darlene goes to uh WGR 550. Oh, Jesus. And the fact that Paul Hamilton was unable to attend the game today as the reporter <laughs> and they did not send somebody in his in his stead. Uh, the seat was empty next to Matt Fairburn. There was no Paul Hamilton. And I am sorry, but I agree with Mike Harrington. And if WGR wants to be known as the station for the Bills and the Sabres, they must have a reporter here on site uh, to hold all the people accountable. And if they don't, they they are shirking their duties. And so my come on, Darlene, is WGR, and I'm standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, standing tall with Mike Harrington in pointing a finger at WGR for just not doing what it's supposed to do and I will not apologize for it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Joe is having a difficult time containing himself for those at home. It's a strong take. That's a very strong take. I hope Paul is listening. I'm sure he is. I hope you're It's not Paul's fault. Paul was on assignment today in Boston. The Sabres did win 4 to 2. Sabres and Bruins, so it's not Paul's fault. It is the powers that be, those fat cats over on, uh, what, what's this, where is it, the parkway, what is it? Corporate parkway. Corporate parkway, those fat cats over there trying to save a couple of bucks and not holding the people accountable who need to be held accountable. And this is this is big league sports. This is the big leagues. <laughs> Just <laughs> This is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm mad. <laughs> This is the big league, the majors, the National Football League. Damn it. 
Good luck, John. I can't top that. I cannot top that. There's just no way. It's like that's that's. There's public money is being spent. This is a county-owned stadium. The county, the state is putting money into this team, and you. Can, <laughs> well, God damn it! Well, I hate. To, Chris Parker was here, yeah. but not. He's not a reporter. Oh. He's one of those talking heads. <laughs> I want somebody down there in the locker room asking the tough questions. The tough questions. <laughs> Oh man, John! God damn it! Anything? <laughs> um, yeah. You're good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Great. I, I, uh, what do they say? I seed my time. <laughs> oh, all right. To the honorable uh, member from the athletic. <laughs> oh God! All right. Um, okay. Well, and they think they want a new stadium. <laughs> They're down here trying to play the public. I need I need reporters that are down here getting it done. This this is uh this might be given what's that uh retired guys from Green Bay that that you mentioned the last time around might be giving him a run for the, his money for yeah, uh, come on Darlene. Arnie Herbert? Arnie Herbert. <laughs> I think I think that's his name. I don't even remember why he got the come on Darlene. Because he was in the Hall of Fame and he has uh, his touchdown interception ratio is about Three and a half, I think. You can see the wavelengths on the recording right. here, and all of this is where Tim is screaming, God damn it, right here, where it's just clipping. I'm with you, Harrington. We gotta put an end to this. We gotta we gotta let people know. You gotta believe that Bob Bendenson showed up in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's Bill Bendenson. Well him too. William Bendenson. Well he William. The best Patriots coverage in the business. The best Patriots coverage in Maybe the business. Maybe we'll have him on the show next week. You well, do not you know yes. who Bill, will be the new guest. Bill Bendenson, will, Bill Bendenson will be on the Tim Graham show on Wednesday Ooh. to talk again to pre. Well, it's Patriots week. All right. It only comes around oh, twice wow. a year. He All right. Upgraded to a suite in Pittsburgh. He tweeted out this week because they were big fans of the Maven. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Because he holds people accountable. And that's all I have to say about that. Well, gentlemen, thank you for the lively and spirited conversation, especially the come on Darlene portion. Um, John, thank you for, for jumping in on the podcast for thanks the first for time ever. John. Yeah, thanks no for problem. listening. That we appreciate was fun. We that was actually entertaining. Yeah. You could we even you could even listen to this. I guess I could if I had time. Oh, true. Or you drive to work. It probably takes you a I'm a 25 minutes. Yeah, I'm a, a music guy. He's a music guy. Let's yeah, not get him started with sing. that. I can sing on the podcast for you if you'd like. Well, then I would not be a music guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you there. I've never heard his melodic tones before. Somebody um, um, tweeted at me mean things about... Mm. Uh, people do this a lot, though, to the point about my voice being... What's that thing you listen to to make you go to sleep? White noise. White noise machine? SM or something like that. Uh... There's some like waves that you listen to that make no, you fall asleep, and he was saying, if you like that sort of thing, then you should listen to the Bills beat with Matthew Fairburn. I was like, wow. Whoa. I was like, hey. I'm making that utter motion again. I'm Maybe some people do like it, yeah. No, you're not. Utter motion. <laughs> I don't see it. No. <laughs> All right. Oh, shoot. Right. Way, to, way, way to break the fourth wall, John. <laughs> Look closer. <laughs> Jesus. Tim, thank you, as always. Thanks for having me. You smut mouth. Um, Matthew Fairburn, thank you as always. 
And uh, the Bills go on to beat the Lions by a score of 14-13 to 13 and have some fun conversations ahead of them for the offseason, as I'm sure you all are, are doing as well. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Bills Beat. We will talk to you on Thursday of the coming week. See ya.